That's big time. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he belt that one? Intensity is not a perfume. It was a no-doubter. Five, four, three, two, one. We are up in the bird's nest, the fifth floor of the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. We're so back. I'm Brendan Mortensen. He's Matt Bonaparte. We We're here with the back. bird's nest. We could not be more back. Bit of a, a rebranded Mass and All Access podcast here. Going to feel a little different. Going to try some new things here in the absence of Paul Mancano. We're going to try some stuff. It's going to be fun. I'm excited to be back. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. I mean... Mentioned the absence of Paul Mancano. I think we should actually refer to it as the emergence of Matt Bonaparte. That that is what the people are calling it. Yeah, that's really what we should be saying. So from now on, from now on, it is just you. the emergence of Matt Bonaparte rocking the Anthony Santander esque shades. There, Bones. I thought so. I mean, we get them. Why not wear them? Right on the biggest stage. That is the bird's nest. <laughs> it is. It is the biggest stage. That's what the people forever. are saying. I mean, these things. That wow, those lights are bright. <laughs> I mean, teach. These work. They work. I'm telling you, they do. Well, we're going to be here every week, hopefully, on these, on this couch, these couches, these mics. Yeah. Bringing you the bird's nest. We're going to start today with a little bit of a preview, looking ahead to the 2023 MLB draft. Not a ton of anticipation for this draft, mostly because the Orioles are very good. And in the last few years, we haven't been able to focus on the big league team as much. We have had to turn the focus to the minor leagues looking ahead to the draft. The Orioles have also had top five picks since 2019. That's not the case this year. They have number 17. Not as much buzz, not as as much excitement, but the Orioles are still very good at drafting prospects. We should still be excited for number 17. I'm actually pumped because this is the first time we're going to get to watch Mike Elias work in the middle of the draft. Yeah. Uh, and really see what he can do uh, with a pick that, you know, you don't have necessarily a guy who's a total blue chip. Uh, so I'm really excited for this draft uh, and this pick especially, uh, even though, like you said, this year, unlike others, we don't have to just force it to the draft because the team isn't playing well. Now you get two excited things to be excited about. Yeah, and you're not going to have the same caliber of prospect at number 17 as you have had over the past few years. Obviously, you're not going to get... And Adley Rutschman, who is a slam dunk number one overall pick in 2019, you're not in the position to draft, you know, Dylan Cruz, who is probably this year's Adley Rutschman. You're not in the position to draft Jackson Holiday, who wasn't necessarily the slam dunk pick in last year's draft, but he was... But you couldn't miss in that draft. No, you, you, you really couldn't. couldn't miss. There were a bunch of top high school prospects. There were a bunch of options that the Orioles could go. Jackson Holiday, obviously a very good number one overall pick. He has been excellent so far, but the Orioles have been excellent in the draft past their first pick. We know that they have hit on those picks like Adley Rutschman. Heston Kerstad has been looking tremendous. He just won player of the week down in Norfolk. Jackson Holiday has obviously been great. Colton Kowser is mashing in AAA Norfolk. But the guys that they have drafted after their first pick over the last few years have also been awesome. The name's off the top of my head. Got Gunnar Henderson, of course, in 2019. Comes from the same draft class as Adley Rutschman. He isn't drafted until number 42 in 2019. Ends up becoming the number one prospect in all of baseball. Obviously a huge, huge contributor for the Orioles right now. 
Joey Ortiz in 2019 as well. He went 108th. Jordan Westberg went 30th. Kobe Mayo, 103rd. Connor Norby, 41st. Yeah. So the Orioles have shown that they are able to find talented guys with outside of those top five picks. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I mean, Ortiz especially to me, I mean, being a fourth-round guy and having that much talent, already being a major leaguer kind of shows me that there's really no reason to worry about this draft. Uh, because obviously in baseball, unlike any other sport, it's not going to be uh, you know, a surefire thing that the guy's going to be good. But when you have this kind of track record, even in such little time uh, since 2019, I think you should be pretty confident what Mike Elias and company can do uh, in terms of the draft and whatnot. And you mentioned Norby uh, and Wagner and all those other guys. So, so much talent right. uh, that they've gotten in those later picks in the second round, the third round, the fourth round. Uh, that, again, you really you have so much potential MLB talent and guys who have already made the majors and made their debuts. And having the top five pick over the last few years has obviously been nice because, as you said, you can get a blue-chip prospect, but the Orioles have been able to find so many talented players later in the draft that I don't want to say it doesn't matter that they don't have a top five pick. Yeah. It still matters. It does, but, I, like again... And Elias, didn't he say last year he didn't even want the number yeah, one pick? Yeah, he jokingly was like, I don't really like the number one yeah. pick. Like, it's it's the hardest position to be in because, you know, let's say you have two guys on your big board that you would be really, really happy with and you were drafting second overall. You know, the decision is kind of made for you. Yeah. If somebody goes first and then you can just take the guy that falls to two, number one, you have to get right. Yes. And Michael Elias and Sigma Dell have. I mean, they have been a part of some great drafts dating back to Houston. I mean, they took Carlos Correa, number one overall. They've been solid at the top of the draft, but they still don't need one of those top five picks. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like we're getting to watch a great athlete just get in their bag. Yeah. Because you're this watching This is Michael Elias' yeah, bag. this is his bag, dude. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, he's able to just, you know, really, like, He's going to cook, and I cannot wait for it. I'm yeah. actually so excited to see what they do with this pick because, like we're going to talk about, there's a lot of different ways that they can go. I think this is a pretty talented draft class uh, and one that Michael Elias is going to have plenty of options in terms of where they want to go because, one, they've already covered so much ground within the farm system. It's not like there's one glaring thing. They could use a pitcher. But it's not like one glaring thing, right. like, oh, they need a third baseman or they need an outfielder. They have plenty of talent within the farm system, so they could really go anywhere. And I'm kind of thinking that this draft could be one where they go after, like, a potential boomer bust guy. Like, take yeah. a flyer on a guy who could be incredible, but there's also a chance he fizzles out because you have so much talent. Yeah, last year, Michael Elias was, was pretty adamant about the fact that they weren't going to draft based on positional need. He said you pretty much don't do that until you get much later in the draft. That's one of the clues that we kind of got from last year about what the Orioles could potentially do at number 17. Let's hear a little bit from Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias on their draft strategy from last year, as well as their Director of Draft Operations, Brad Selick, on what they had to say after last year's draft. Using all the info that we can, um, picking the, the player that we want to take from a talent standpoint. 
um, regardless of position. I, I, listen, I loved uh, taking high school hitters. Um, you know, we don't we don't do it um, left and right uh, willy nilly. But I think that we look back on um, the drafts that, that Sig and I have been big parts of here or um, with the Astros. It's a pretty good group of high school hitters. So. Brad, a couple similarities the three college players have are big homer numbers and pretty good walk strikeout rates. Is that um, by design or did it just kind of work out that way? Yeah, those are always traits they'll be kind of key in on as far as on the analytic front. Um, so you can kind of say that those guys are kind of our flavor in terms of what we're looking for from an offensive profile. Well, yeah. Wyatt Cheney is a projection right-handed starter. Uh, the one thing that we really like about Wyatt is we've had the ability to scout him in person, but also we're able to tap into some of our analytics as far as the track mandate is concerned. And he has a unique fastball profile that we look for, has elite hop on the fastball, and has a pair of breaking balls that play immensely well. So big, strong kid that um, obviously an SEC power arm that we do like, 92 to 95 with a fastball and has elite hop on it. We think that we can actually help him be more efficient with his delivery. And he also has a full arsenal. So we do like guys that have a full arsenal, four pitches. We think that we can continue to build upon the success that he's had with his breaking balls and also refine his change up a little bit. So he's uh, very similar to a lot of these arms that we took today. We think that there's high upside in all those guys, and we'll look to ultimately maximize their arsenal to full potential. There are going to be some differences, but I do think there are some things that we could take away from what Mike Elias and Brad Selick said last year. I kind of want to go point by point here, Bones. First one being... Like I mentioned, last year they took the best player available regardless of position because when you're drafting that high, when you're drafting in the first round, the point is just to bolster your farm system as much as possible, to add whatever player you want to start your draft with, you think could be an impact player down the line. I don't think the Orioles are going to be looking at any positional needs right now and say, at least at the big league level, yeah. and saying, we need to draft you know, a pitcher because we could use some bullpen help down the line at the end of the season. That's not how the Orioles are going to be drafting in the first round, I don't think. Maybe they look at their farm system and say, yeah, we could use some top-end pitching, or we could use another high-end outfielder because a lot of them are either at AAA Norfolk or the majors right now. Maybe they could be saying something like that, but I would anticipate that at number 17, they're still looking at the best player available regardless of the position. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are so many uh, talented prospects in this draft that I think any of these guys uh, could fit within the Orioles' farm system. Uh, and like you said, and, and, and like we previously mentioned, they're lucky, or really they've worked to be in a spot where they don't have to fill a positional need uh, like a lot of other franchises do. So that's credit to Mike Elias and the rest of the front office uh, that they've built a farm system that is near the top in baseball uh, and can match up with anybody at pretty much any position, Right, uh, which you can't say about most teams pretty much ever. It's really you're never in a position where you can look at a team's farm system and say, well, they kind of have it everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and the Orioles are in that position. Yeah, absolutely. And so that gives you the flexibility to take just whatever player you feel like is the best yeah. player available at that point, which could include a high school hitter. We Absolutely. know that Mike Elias in the first round over the last few years has had a tendency to go with well-established college bats. We saw it with Adley Rutschman, Heston Kerstad, Colton Kowser. But if the right high school bat is there, the Orioles have shown that they will go with the right high school bat, yep. whether it be Jackson Holiday, 
later in the rounds. They took Gunnar Henderson. They took Daryl Hernandez in the fifth round a few years ago, who, you know, of course is with the athletics now, but was... But he still made that choice. Yeah, still made that choice. It was the right high school bat. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that, yes, maybe the tendency over the last few years for, you know, this draft operation has been to take well-established college hitters, but if the right high school bat is there, Elias has said, yeah, we have had success and have loved to take high school hitters before. He has had a ton of success with it, with Gunnar Henderson, with Carlos Correa in Houston as well. So I'm not closing the door to that possibility at all. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's definitely there. Uh, and like you said, if that bat's there, why not pull the trigger on it? I feel right. like a high school arm is a totally different beast, you know? there There's so much developing that goes in uh, to pitching that, not that there isn't in hitting, but I always feel like, it's a longer road when you have a pitcher that you like his stuff, you like his strikeout numbers, but that ERA is high. It's going to be a long journey for that guy to get to a big league level. For a hitter, well, you know, you still have to, to face the competition and whatnot. Facing high school pitching and mashing is a lot different than just beating up high school hitters. Because right. pitching is easier. It just is. Baseball is a hard sport. It's hard to hit that ball. Uh, and when guys can do it, at the high school level, it's a good chance they're going to be able to do it in the minors as well. Yeah, absolutely. And let's get into a little bit more of the, you know, kind of the nitty-gritty, the player profile sure. that Brad Selick got into. In terms of college hitters, the two biggest things that he pointed out last year as hitter profiles that they tended to look at were solid power numbers and good strikeout-to-walk ratios. We saw that with Adley Rutschman, with Heston Kerstad, with Colton Kowser. Colton Kowser didn't have a ton of power, but the plate discipline, the swing decisions were so good, and he had such good gap-to-gap power, they knew the power would be able to develop in the minor leagues. Heston Kerstad was a massive power bat in the SEC when he was in Arkansas. They had the shortened season that year, but Heston Kerstad was tearing the cover off the ball for that season. And again, wasn't striking out a ton. And then Adley Rutschman was just, he had everything He's in a college Rutschman. bat. All right. right. I mean, there's not a lot more you have to say. Exactly. But all of those college hitters, even if you want to look, you know, kind of later in the rounds, I mean, Judd Fabian put up great power numbers yeah. at Florida. Absolutely. Max Wagner put up great power numbers at Clemson. Dylan Beavers, they knew the power would develop because of the frame, because of the tweaks that they could make to his swing. That seems to be the formula for drafting college hitters. Good yeah. power numbers, good strikeout numbers. Well, while I was looking into uh, those picks and, and looking at what probably attracted Elias and the rest um, to look at those guys, that's what jumped out at me was they didn't pick pretty good hitters when it came to uh, their college bats. They picked guys that mashed that absolutely tore the cover off the ball. Guys who hit 415, uh, guy like uh, Connor Norby and guys who had crazy yeah. power numbers. And, and even if the average was a little bit uh, lower, you know, Judd Fabian, he wasn't hitting for average around 239. He was still slugging near 600. So that's the kind of thing they look for. And that's the kind of thing uh, that works, especially in this day and age in baseball, uh, when the game has shifted towards home runs uh, more than singles, unless you're Luis Arias. Um, that's what works, and I think it's really smart of them to be going after those guys and following those trends, and I honestly can't believe other teams aren't doing it. Yeah, and even outside of the power numbers, I mean, the plate discipline always plays. We're seeing yeah. that right now with Jackson Holiday. We have seen it throughout the minor leagues with you know Colton Kowser. We keep going back to these top picks, but the plate discipline 
always plays in the minor leagues. It is an organizational philosophy that we have talked about, you know, for the last few years here of swing decisions. It's only going after and swinging at balls that are going to hit the med ball and only swinging at pitches that you can really do damage with. Even if they're borderline strikes, not swinging at those and having weak contact, if it's a pitch you can do damage with, then you swing because you'll take some, you know, strikes on the outside corner. And that's a big league skill. Right. Absolutely. But they're doing it now in the Florida Complex League, in Delmarva, in Aberdeen, and these guys are getting to double-A Bowie and triple-A Norfolk with that plate discipline, with the swing decisions under their belt to the point where they get to the majors and they have better strikeout-to-walk ratios. They have improved swings. They have improved plate discipline. And if you're able to draft that, if you're able to draft guys with that profile, it goes a long way to get guys to buy into that philosophy if they already had it coming yeah, into the draft. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, that plate discipline is something that is invaluable in right. a prospect because not everybody has it. You could see a guy's numbers uh, and see that he has this many home runs. His average is so high. But if his walk numbers aren't good, then there's a red flag. Doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad prospect, but for the Orioles, a team that are looking for guys who are going to fit that mold, plate discipline is so, so important, and it's already shown that it's worked in so many of the guys that they've taken, like we've mentioned. Yeah, and we're getting some comments on YouTube, thanks for following along, that the Orioles should be looking at pitching prospects in this year's draft. So the two takeaways from what Brad Selig had to say last year in terms of pitching prospects, they like somebody with a hoppy, unique fastball profile. I love the way people describe fastballs. There are so many adjectives (laughs) to the way people describe fastballs. Hoppy? What does that even mean? Good hop. Yeah. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) If you see a fastball, next time you and I are watching baseball, I want you to point out a fastball to me that's hoppy. Okay. It's it's something that people much smarter than us <laughs> are able to point out on a game-to-game basis. Hoppy fastball profile, good off-speed pitches, and they also mentioned that they like an SEC power arm. Yeah, which, who doesn't? I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's the best conference in baseball. We saw it last year with the Orioles selecting Trace Bright. He has been very, very good in Aberdeen so far this year. So, I mean, I don't want to narrow down the pitching prospects to like SEC power arms with good fastballs but that's and exactly intriguing off-speed stuff. But <laughs> that might be what I'm going to do because there are a few guys in the middle of the first round. Hurston Waldrop, one of my favorite prospects in this year's draft that the Orioles could be looking at. I don't want to limit it to just the SEC pitching prospects, but it that could be a formula. Well, it doesn't help that the guys who are projected to go around where the Orioles pick are SEC power arms. Yeah. So, because uh, it's... Waldrop and then Chase Dolander from Tennessee as well has uh, the same kind of stuff. He's got that hoppy fastball type. Right. That thing touches 100. He's got three off-speed pitches, two breaking balls that are strikeout pitches. Uh, there's a lot there for Chase Dolander. And you mentioned Hurston Waldrop, who's got a hoppy fastball. Yeah, uh, and maybe the best splitter, pitch in the draft in his splitter. That splitter is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's a pitch that... If I'm Mike Elias, I want in the organization. Yeah. Uh, so those are two guys who I'm definitely looking at uh, in terms of fitting the criteria that we have seen and that we've been told. I, I'd be looking at those guys. And I think it's important to note, too, that when we're looking at pitching prospects and the potential that the Orioles could be drafting them high this year. Yeah. 
the Orioles have not drafted a pitcher very high in the Mike Elias era. It's true. They just haven't really done it. Grayson I mean, Grayson at 11 and what, 18? Pre Mike Elias. Yeah, Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall were both first round picks, but that was not this regime of drafting here. Yeah. So the Orioles have gone with their strategy of drafting quality position player prospects. And then, you know, last year you saw that at the trade deadline, they went out and they acquired Cade Povich. They acquired yeah. Chase McDermott. They bolstered their pitching prospects from trades with other organizations. So maybe the Orioles just feel more confident in their ability to draft position player prospects and move them for either well-established prospects or big leaguers, like we saw last year with the Orioles moving Daryl Hernays for Cole Irvin. Yeah, I mean, pitching prospects, it's difficult for pitchers to get drafted, not have any serious injuries, and make it to the big leagues. That just yeah. doesn't happen very often, Absolutely. even for highly ranked pitching prospects throughout the league. It's, it's hard to be a, a top draft pick to make it to the majors without any struggles. Yeah. Uh, well, they have more obstacles. I mean, obviously, everybody's right. got the injuries of baseball to deal with, but, you know, nowadays, Tommy John is such a huge thing. You know, that elbow, it's almost to the point where you expect pretty much every pitcher to have to get it, especially guys who, like we mentioned, are throwing near 100. Um, so that's just another obstacle that pitchers have to face. And then, like I mentioned before, it's just a long and winding road for a lot of pitchers to get to the majors. Yeah. Uh, so I don't hate the strategy. I really don't of drafting as many good hitters as they possibly can and then trade and get a guy. You know? Yeah. And, and they might do that this year. There's so much surplus of talent in that organization that they could really make a push come deadline time. And, and I like that strategy a lot. Yeah. And, and that's not to say that pitching prospects don't work out. But if you look at the top pitchers who have been drafted over the last few years here, I mean, Jack Leiter is really struggling in double A. Yeah. Kumar yeah. Rocker is dealing with injuries. I mean, even go back a few years, you've got guys like Asa Lacey has been struggling in the minors. Emerson Hancock. I mean, Casey Mize was yeah. a top overall pick, and Number he's one. dealt with injuries. And, like, <sighs> pitching prospects are just kind of a crapshoot if yeah, you're going to really is. hope that they get to the big league level. Sure, but maybe it's not worth a first-round pick. Maybe you have a slam-dunk position player prospect, and it's just easier to go with them than the pitcher. Yeah, and... In baseball especially, you can hit on a guy in the second round. You don't necessarily have to draft a guy in the first round for him to be good, you know? Yeah. Um, there are guys taken late all the time that end up being stars. So uh, I think that this, honestly, like now that you look back on it, a little bit of a bold strategy uh, to just say, we're not going to take pitchers in the first round. And it's worked. And it's worked. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. It has worked. Right. Um, which, just credit. Credit yeah. to Michael Elias and the team for, you know, doing that and saying, you know what, why would we do something that probably won't work? Yeah. So uh, I, I like it a lot. Yeah, and and this may be a podcast for a, or this may We're be a, a show. Pages. I know this may be a, a show for a later time. But like, if you look at the other teams around the league that have rebuilt at a similar time as the Orioles have with different draft strategies, they haven't worked out as well. It's true. Uh, you look back on a lot of those teams that picked around the Orioles in 19 when Elias made the Adley pick. Right. A lot of those teams are still picking up there. Yeah. <laughs> and the Orioles have moved back to 17. So what does that say? Yeah. But that's that's for a, a bird's nest down the line. 
You mentioned Hurston Waldrop. Let's talk about some players that could be possibilities sure. for the Orioles at number 17. I had three guys. I mean, there's a list of like 20 that I had written down that the yeah, Orioles could be drafting. The top three guys that I was looking at as pretty solid possibilities for the Orioles. First is Bryce Eldridge. I'm so glad we both wrote down Bryce Eldridge. Yeah. High school outfielder. He is a two-way player right now. Yeah. I don't know if he is going to continue to be a two-way player we saw that with in the Brandon minor McKay. leagues. Yeah. yeah. But it seems like teams are more keen on him as a hitter than a pitcher yeah. because he's a really big kid, goes to James Madison High School in Virginia. He is probably going to be a corner outfielder with a very good arm because he has a pitcher's arm, but could have some huge power potential. So Bryce Eldridge is a name that I wrote down. Uh, Hurston Waldrop. I mean, it, it's a name that we have gotten a lot of comments about on our YouTube comments here. Again, pitcher from Florida, great fastball, devastating splitter. He could honestly be a very quick riser in the Orioles system if they drafted somebody like Waldrop. I mean, I think about, not that the Orioles would do this, but I think about like when the White Sox drafted Garrett Crochet, yeah, and then they just went, all right, we need some bullpen bullpen help late in the season. Like, come on up. That's what they the Angels did with Ben Joyce too. He's already playing in the majors. Yeah, like, I like that might be what you do with those guys. Yeah, and I mean, I think Waldrop has starter potential moving forward. So I don't know if the Orioles would want to rush him and say, hey, we need a bullpen arm. Come on up, but certainly could be a valuable arm in the next year or so. Already a well-established SEC pitcher. Could move pretty quickly throughout the minor league system. And then Colton Ledbetter is the other name that I wrote down. High school, or excuse me, not high school. Outfielder from Mississippi State. And he has been described as an analytical darling. Which just has Mike Elias and the Baltimore That's Orioles written all over it. Analytical darling. And his first what name is, is Colton. His first name is Colton. I mean, just welcome to the Baltimore Orioles. They love guys named Colton. They love guys named Colton. <laughs> Those and are the three names that I wrote down specifically out of my list of 20 bones. How about you? Okay, yeah. I, we both did Bryce Eldridge, two-way, whatever. I mean, guys, 6'7", 220. Yeah. Like, come on. Come on. Now, yeah, how do you not look at that guy? He's awesome. Yeah. Um, and he's also just tearing up high school hitting. Uh, a 5.43 average in high school. That's really good. That's that's No, no, it's not. It's nuts, dude. It is. That is nuts. Yeah. Uh, and then I had Waldrop as well. Yeah. And I had Dolander, like I mentioned. Waldrop and Dolander, like, I just love when guys have crazy strikeout numbers and you, you just compare the innings pitched and it's just like, that's nuts. Dolander would have to slide, I think. Yeah, I mean, I saw him going like 20. Whew. Um, I mean, the ERA for Dolander yeah, hasn't been good. He's up near but, a five ERA. That's why. Yeah, that's but, it's not a good. You ERA. know, I could see Michael Elias being like, I can fix him. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Waldrip, of course, 154 strikeouts in almost 100 innings. It's crazy. Uh, and then another name I wrote down was uh, Matt Shaw, the shortstop uh, at Maryland. Yeah. This guy is really, really good. Bring and the I local think, kid home. Yeah, huh? I think he's really good. He also tore it up uh, in the Cape Cod League over the summer. He was fantastic for the Bourne Braves. He won the championship, and then he goes in to Maryland this year and tears it up as well. This guy, I truly believe, will be a major leaguer uh, and will be a guy uh, that the Orioles should definitely look at because he's a great bat and he's got a good glove. So yeah. uh, they already have a lot of middle infield uh, talent, but they've already shown that they'll take more. So uh, They, they can and they will. Give them a shot. Yeah. We won't get into too many specifics with 
a bunch of those guys. That might be a next week thing. Okay. Get into some more I'm specifics in, on potential draft I'll be prospects. On this couch. Yeah, I sure hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, this would be a, a very awkward show with just me. Bones, before we get out of here, can we talk about getting some Orioles to the All-Star game? You know I'm in. We've got to talk about Austin Hayes. Sure. I mean, he is... Dog. Leading the American League in batting average. He's got an OPS, what, creeping towards 900? I think he's close to 850-ish right now. Had a couple more extra base hits against the Tampa Bay Rays. After Cedric Mullins went down, I think there was a real concern about who would step up in this lineup sure. for the Orioles. You knew Adley Rutschman was going to be there. But Austin Hayes and Gunnar Henderson have stepped up in a way where the offense hasn't taken that much of a dip without arguably you know one of your best players, and not arguably, one of your best players yeah. in Cedric Mullins. And Austin Hayes has been a massive reason why. Yeah, that OPS, by the way, is 882. Yeah, that's nuts. Creeping up there. Um, You know, the other thing about Austin Hayes, in baseball, you need confidence. This guy is walking around with a Cuban link on. I I, I was shocked when I saw him. I said, this guy's feeling himself. This guy doesn't care who's on the mound when he's at the plate. He's going to take him yard. He's going up no batting gloves. Know that about Austin Hayes is that he's he's popping out the jewelry, the chains. Uh, He's all about it. Um, Austin Hayes is a fantastic player and a guy that coming into this year... You needed to be good. Yeah. Because I think everybody is surprised with how the Orioles are playing this year. Everybody outside of this building, that is. Um, because, you know, you didn't know if the offense was going to be that good again. It was the first time that they'd all put it together and everybody had those power numbers. Uh, and they really were an offensive output team. You didn't know if that was going to happen again this year. And Austin Hayes said, don't worry, I got you. Not only that, but we were talking in the off season going into this year knowing that Colton Kowser was going to be very good at yeah. AAA Norfolk, knowing that there were some outfielders banging on the door. The fact I mean, that you haven't seen him is no. crazy. And I mean, you know, Kyle Stowers has dealt with some injuries and things like that, but between Kyle Stowers, Colton Kowser, Taron Vavra's ability to play the outfield, Connor Norby has been getting some reps in the outfield. There were a ton of guys that you looked at and said, okay, Austin Hayes is maybe on the hot seat. A little bit coming yeah. into the year. Because, and he shut down that noise. I mean, the seat is freezing for Austin Hayes. <laughs> I mean, there is... We were talking about how, you know, he could maybe platoon with Colton Kowser. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, what would the middle of the season look like where Colton Kowser was all of a sudden getting everyday starts in the outfield? You know, now you're looking at Kowser as potentially coming up and, you know, maybe playing some right field with Anthony Santander at DH with some injuries, whatever it may be. But there's... Absolutely no conversation, rightfully so, about Kowser or anybody else taking Austin Hayes' spot. Yeah, I mean, because the guy should be an all-star, so go vote, people. Yeah, he's only this in 15th place. This guy needs to be an all-star. I mean, you look at his numbers, it, it's he's leading, the, he's leading the AL in average. Yeah. Like, that's nuts. That's really good. That's crazy. He's hitting 323. Guy's got a batting title lined up for him right now. I mean... Yeah. How could he not be an all-star? I mean, maybe not the flashiest player out there, but... But the outfield defense is great. He's got a cannon from left. He has to play the gargantuan left field at Camden Yards, and he plays it very, very well defensively. He's underratedly a five-tool player. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. I don't think anybody saw that coming, man. No. Like, he's fantastic. We saw flashes of it, but he's been able to stay healthy. He's been able to stay consistent. And, I mean, the war is going to get up to close to probably three 
by the All-Star break. I mean, he's hovering around two and a half right now. So if Austin Hayes continues at this pace, he should at the very least be much higher than 15th in AL All-Star voting among outfielders right now. So, you know, go vote for Austin Hayes. Please do. Other guys that we could look at, I mean, Gunnar Henderson has an uphill battle because he's going to be on the ballots, I think, is the designated hitter. Which is ridiculous. Because he, he, he's splitting time between third base and yeah, shortstop. He plays all over. the best part of his game. The glove is great, and he has been on a heater over the last month or so. He would have to be on an, an all-time heater to make the all-star game at designated hitter in the American League at this point because you have, you know, I mean, Shohei Tani is at DH for the AL All-Star game. So Gunnar Henderson, I think, is creeping towards deserving of consideration, but whether or not he's able to get over the top, who knows? But I I, I think he is worthy of consideration. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see Gunnar in the All-Star game, but I just don't see it happening. I mean, he had such a rough start to the year uh, where I think everybody was, oh, like, what's going on here? And then he said, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and he just, just started cranking tanks. Yeah. Um, so Gunner, obviously we'd love to see him there, but uh, I don't think, I don't think he's got a good as a, of a case that Austin Hayes does. He does. I don't think he has the Austin Hayes case, but I think he is mounting a case as the season continues, as we get closer to the all-star break. Cedric Mullins, unfortunately, probably just isn't going to have man. enough games yeah. he in the first been half there of the season. The injury. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Cedric Mullins was looking like one of the best center fielders in baseball for the first half of the season. I mean, he's still at the top of, you know, the war leaderboards for the Orioles at this point. If Cedric Mullins had some more games under his belt, I think he would absolutely be an all-star. It is unfortunate that, you know, obviously the injury happens and he probably won't have enough games leading up to mid-July to book a ticket to Seattle, but that doesn't mean that he didn't have an all-star caliber first half of the season when he was healthy. Yeah, and obviously you can't vote for pitchers, but Felix should be there. Yep. Cano should be there. Yep. Tyler Wells should be there. Tyler Wells Dude, should Tyler absolutely Wells be Tyler Wells should there. be an all-star. Yeah. How crazy is that? I don't think you thought you were going to say that this year. Uh, especially considering, again, in the offseason, we were talking about how Grayson Rodriguez was probably going to take the fifth spot in the Orioles rotation and Tyler Wells would probably get the bump from starter to bullpen arm. And now Tyler Wells is just casually leading baseball in whip. Which is <laughs> nuts, dude. Yeah. Like, every single start, it's like, all right, he'll give up, like, a home run. And that's, like, it. And that's like, probably what? it. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, Yenier Cano has an ERA below one. Felix Bautista has a case to be the best closer in all of baseball. I think those three have a very, very solid case for sure to be all-stars. Yenier Cano, I sincerely hope gets there. It might be hard because he doesn't have the save numbers because yeah, he's not the closer. Like, setup guys just don't get they the kind of get love. They flowers, man. Yeah, and they should. They should. Because Yenier Cano's been really good. He's the rock. Yeah. La Roca. Yeah. He's the man. Tyler Wells, I hope, gets there. The auxiliary numbers aren't as flashy for Tyler Wells. He's not a huge strikeout guy. The ERA is... Like, good, not great. I mean, it, it's still great. But it, it's not, you know, like, all-star, yeah. you know, yeah. two-and-a-half kind of ERA. But the whip is unbelievable. The ERA is still very, very good. So hopeful that Tyler Wells will be there, along with Felix Bautista. We know Adley Rutschman's going to be there. Yes, he will. Adley Rutschman probably will and absolutely should be the starter as an American League catcher. Who else are you going to pick? 
I can't I think don't of anybody. I don't even know who's in second. Uh, it, I think there's a very large gap. Yeah. And then probably a Blue Jay because... Alejandro Kirk. Say his name. Well, I, Kirk is hurt, so I, oh, I don't know. Really? I didn't know that. But I say probably a Blue Jay because... Toronto Blue Jays fans, I mean, I, they, they have they have all of Canada, so, they you know, do. whatever. But they they vote. I they mean, do. those guys, like, Dalton Varsho is almost an out, in oh, outfielder, all-star. Like, uh, they're voting for everybody. So, if you haven't voted for Austin Hayes yet to make the all-star game, go vote. I, I'm do. sure you voted for Adley Rutschman. Go vote for Austin Hayes as well. There's no, like, hand movement, like, putting in a ballot box. but That would be know. cool, though. <laughs> you just like write the guys that you want to be all stars on a baseball, and then you just like chuck it. That would be cool. That would be really cool. Where would you chuck it? I don't know. Just at like one guy who's trying to collect all of them. <laughs> That's incredible. That's how they, they do the votes. They shouldn't let you be in charge. He just of gets that. like a big bucket, and then you just toss him at that one guy. That's a terrible idea. See, the people miss this kind of banter here on the couches on the we fifth floor of the warehouse. We should give a softball update. Oh, we should. Yeah. For uh, Team Strictly Dingers, uh, for those wondering, Paul Mancano is also on that team with us still, so we haven't kicked Paul off of the softball team. We've thought about it. We've thought about We've it. We've thought about it. We haven't done it. But we had a, a great 4-3 to three victory in our, our first game of the season. Had some solid defense. I mean, a 4-3 to three softball victory, it's unheard of. Yeah, I mean, it was pitching and defense. Pitching and defense. Day. That's what everybody that says. the victory. That's what everybody says wins games in slow pitch softball. You know, is I'm pitching and defense. on the team that swings at every pitch. You are. Now... You know why? Because you're swinging every pitch. I'm going to get my hacks in. Okay? You are. And the the guy we were facing, he didn't have the most control in the world. So no. what did I do? He threw one in my batter's box, took a couple steps out, whacked one to left. That's yeah. what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in to the first episode of The Bird's Nest. Hope you liked it. We're going to try we to keep it going. Time. We'll be back next week with another draft preview. We're only 17 days away from the MLB draft. Don't remind me. That's, that's really sneaking up on us. Thanks so much for tuning in. Big thank you to our producer, Amy Jennings. He's Matt Bonaparte. I'm Brendan Mortensen. We'll see you next time.